Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we are launching our series on King David. I am so excited. I've been chomping at the bit to get this going for some time now. And uh, we just finished a series on King Saul. And uh, to start this off, I want to um, tell you about a little um, a hobby of mine. I like to play basketball. I like to play basketball on Sunday nights at the Village Church. Can I get an amen from the Village Basketball guys? Uh, I got injured uh, January 12th. I sprained my ankle, have not been able to play since. Can't even run yet, which is really frustrating. But um, I miss it. It was one of the favorite um, times of my entire week was playing ball with these guys. And uh, it's only half court, but it's about two, two and a half hours. And it is exhausting. I mean, it takes everything out of you. And uh, there's this guy that we play with who shall remain nameless. And I think some of you in here will think it's you. It's not. Uh, And he's just better than me. Um, he's got way more skill, he's stronger, he's faster, he makes more of them. Dale's like, it's me, it's me. No, no, it's not you. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and so here's what happens every week. I'm almost always guarding him for whatever reason. And, and I'll go up to this guy and we'll be playing. And he's schooling me for the first hour, but around minutes 60 to 70-ish, something happens inside of him. He loses steam. And he loses steam, and he starts getting lazy. And all of a sudden, I'm looking like a really good basketball player. I, I just get my rhythm, actually, one hour to two hours. Like, that's where I start getting going and become my, my best. And so, like, I'm playing him, and all of a sudden, I'm schooling him. I'm dribbling around him. I'm stuffing him in the face. I'm talking trash. And I won't tell you what I say, because then you'll lose respect for me. But um, anyways, it's, it's, it's a blast. And, uh, but, but here's what happens. All the skill in the world, all of the talents, all of the abilities— really mean nothing if your heart can't keep up with you. And he's going, he's going, he's going, and he's out of shape. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And because he's out of shape here, uh, he gives up, and in about 90 minutes to, uh, to about an hour and 45 minutes into it, he almost always goes home because he's got nothing left. And I just think to myself, man, this is just like the heart of man. There are all of these people all around us with so much skill and position and authority and all of the, uh, all of the rest of this. But what happens when um, your skill can only take you so far and your heart is not together or does not have the um, character to sustain you? And this is what happened with King Saul. He was given position and responsibility and influence and all of these things, but his heart was not able to keep up with him. And at the end of the day, what was it that cost him everything? It was a broken heart issue. And I think about all of these people that I know who have been so good at so much And the Lord ends up looking at them and pulling them out of ministry or pausing them. And he looks at them and says, you got a heart issue. That's what this comes down to. And just to launch this, I want to just tell you guys something. God is obsessed, obsessed with making sure your hearts are together, are being forged into Christ's likeness, and are after him. Okay? He is obsessed with this. And when God starts to see cracks in your heart and in your character, here's what he's going to do. He is going to refine you. And almost always, this refining takes place in the context of pain. Can I get an amen? How many people become more Christ-like when everything's easy? Most people don't. But in the context of pain, of struggle, of waiting, the Lord starts to forge your heart. And what happens is in these moments of pain, 
All you are, what's in your heart, is on full display for you to see. Now, I want to define for you what the heart is so we can make sure we're talking about the same things. The heart at the very core, we've heard it described like it's the essence of who you are. It is the essence of a man. It's the core of your personality. And here's what I want to to say to you. Your heart is very simply your desires that lead to your actions. Your heart are the things that you, is the thing that you want. So your heart is largely comprised of all of the things you want and therefore what you do to go get those things. Now here's what the heart is not measured by. The heart of man or woman is not measured by intentions. The heart of a man or woman is not measured by their dreams or ambitions. It is measured by what you want, and what you want really is what you go after. Some people want to step back and say, well, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy because I want to want. That doesn't cut it. You go after the things you want the most in life. And when you go after those things, they are revealing pieces of your heart. And God is said to also have a heart, metaphorically speaking. And this heart is the things that he desires or the things he wants. And we meet King David, and here's what the Bible says about King David. King David is a man, now we're going to meet him in this text, he's a boy, whose heart, whose desires, whose desires that are measured not by his intentions or his dreams or his ambitions, but that are measured by his behavior and actions. His heart is trajectory toward after in the direction of God's heart so that he wants what God wants. David steps back and I imagine him saying something like this. Lord, I know there are all these these things that distract me. There are all these things that are so alluring to me, but I want what you want and will you show me what you want because I understand that I'm easily deceived. My heart leads me astray. God, I want the things you want. So Lord, would you give me a heart that longs for the things that you long for? And God is looking over the earth and he finds David and he says this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the epitaph of his life even after he has murdered and committed adultery and done terrible, terrible things. The Lord looks at him and says, at the core, David was a man after my own heart. That what beat inside of David was this, Lord, I want what you want. I want what you want. And I want to read to you a passage of scripture, um, Proverbs 4.23. You've heard this before, but this is just so essential to understanding David. Keep your heart, protect your heart, guard your heart, build a fortress around your heart with all vigilance or intensity or purposefulness. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from your heart flow the springs of life. Let me give you another translation that I think will help um, this come home. Defend your heart no matter what the sacrifice or how great the foe. Defend it. For from your heart flow powerful rivers of either incredible joy or unthinkable sorrow. Listen again. Defend your heart. No matter what the sacrifice or how great the foe, for from your heart flows powerful rivers of either incredible joy or unthinkable sorrow. Little Church, we're going to look at the heart of David on full display. And over the upcoming months, we're going to see what does it look like for a sinner, a broken man, to have a heart after God's own heart. Because was David perfect? No. Was David, did he struggle with sin? Oh my goodness. But at the end of the day, David was able to say, I want what you want. 
and you could look over David's life and you could see that the majority of his decisions, the trajectory of his life is toward God. So go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 27 to set up the context for what's happening. Saul has just disobeyed God and God has rejected Saul from being king because he had a broken, say it with me, heart. It was a heart issue. That's what it came down to. And God said, you are not fit. You're done. I've given you chance after chance after chance. Finally, he disobeys in this huge, terrible decision. And here's what happens in verse 27. As Samuel turned to go away from Saul, leaving him, just rejected him, Saul seized the skirt of his robe. There's desperation here. And it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Saul, your heart is not prepared, is not mature enough to handle the weight and the responsibility to be the king of Israel. Because if your heart issues, I'm taking away your ministry, I'm taking away your leadership, I'm taking away your kingship. Can you imagine what this would feel like? I mean, this is gut-wrenching, and you see a desperation in Saul. Now let's go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. And this is just a little glimpse, by the way, any of you who have ever had spiritual leadership over anybody, moms, dads, mentors, pastors, elders, deacons, ministry directors, whatever, that when the people that God gives you to shepherd or to care for um, run away from God and their hearts are directed towards themselves or towards worldly things or towards whatever that is not after the Lord, what do you feel? Broken, hurting, and angst. And chapter 15 gives us a glimpse into how much Samuel really did want Saul to succeed. In fact, when God told Samuel that he's going to take the kingdom away from Saul, it says that Samuel was angry and that he wept and that he prayed all night long just trying to come to grips with this. And at some point, um, Samuel has to agree with God because God has already said, I'm done with him, we're moving on. And there is a point, apparently, where you can grieve too long over something where it stops you from moving. And here's what God says to Samuel. Fill your horn with oil and go. We're moving on to something different. This is done. Now I have some new things that I'm doing here. Come to grips with this. You can live in the past all you want, but that's done. His heart broke him, okay? There's another man. In fact, he's a young man. And this is a man whose heart runs hard after me. It says, fill your horn and with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. I want you to look down at your Bible, and I want you to look at the word provided, and literally this word is going to come up six more times, five or six more times in this um, text, and here's what it means. It means to see or to perceive, and um, provided is a fine interpretation, but at its core, you're going to watch this same word interpreted different, translated differently, and here's what's happening. The Lord is looking over the earth, and his eyes are watching, and he looks at Samuel, and he says, I have seen, I have looked, I have perceived with my eyes, I have looked and looked, and I have found a man who I want you to appoint as king. Now, I want to rewind with you, um, and there's this passage of Scripture in Second Chronicles. I want you to listen to this, 16.9, and here's what it says. A prophet is talking to King Asa, and he's rebuking him, and he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. I mean, this isn't just like, hey, 
I mean, they're, they are like erratic. They're intense. They're going, looking, 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 back and forth. And here's what it says. Throughout the whole world to give strong support to those whose, say with me, heart is blameless toward him. I mean, I, this is a beautiful picture. The Lord um, clearly wants to support people in ministry. Okay? The Lord is looking for people who he wants to help and to give them um, um, help with, to say, hey, you, you have this ministry going? Let me help you. This is for me. Here's the deal, right? He's running. He's looking. Heart, 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 heart. He's looking. He's finding. And it's almost as if he can't find many people because our hearts are divided. They're, uh, this word blameless, he's trying to find someone who's blameless. It doesn't mean sinless. It means it's a divided heart. He wants someone's heart who is undivided, whose trajectory is toward him or after him, who wants what he wants. And it's like the Lord is struggling to find somebody. Is it in you? 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 And it's going throughout the whole earth, every nook and cranny. No person is left unturned. And finally, he finds somebody with a heart after his and says, I can use that person. And you know what? It's not the king. It's not the military leaders. It's not the prophets. It's not the most religious. It's not the wealthiest. It's this kid. And the Lord finally stops in all of Israel and he says, I, I found somebody who's after my own heart. I found somebody who wants at the very core of who he is, the things I want. And it's somebody that you all would look at and say, he could never do that. He's just a kid. He's too young. He's too this. He's too that. Even the brothers didn't even think he could do it. The dad just overlooks him. And the Lord says, you are all looking at the wrong thing. You judge on the outside. And God's eyes are running to and fro. And, and I don't think this stops personally. I don't get any indication that the Lord has stopped working in this earth and that he has stopped using people and that he is trying to find men and women and children whose hearts are after him to use, who want what he wants and pursues what he pursues. And he's looking for people. And let me tell you this. Some of you are like, God, help me in my ministry. Lord, support me in what I'm doing. Well, here's the big question. Are you obsessed with what he wants? Do you really want what you want in your ministry for him? Is this really about him? Because if it is, and your heart is undivided toward him, he'll support you. That's what he wants. He's pumped to do this. Right? But here's the issue. I think the Bible makes it clear that it's really hard for God to find people whose hearts are undivided toward him. It's hard, but he's looking. Let me tell you this, if he stops on you and he's not looking for perfection, he's looking for an undivided heart that is like Jesus in the garden and says, not my will, but yours, and then your actions follow through. It is not good enough, and I don't think this is the game God plays where you say, ah, but I didn't want to do it. He's looking for people whose heart is evidenced by their decisions that are toward God and wanting what God wants. We'll keep going. Verse 2. Wow, that's only verse 2. Okay. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. A little history, or geographical thing. Saul's in Ramah. He's got to go to Bethlehem. And to get there, he has to actually go through, or Samuel is it, he has to go through Saul's hometown, right? And just so you know, Samuel's really popular. You don't travel through the hometown of the king without being noticed, okay? And people are going to say, well, what are you doing? What we know about Saul is he's erratic, he's crazy, he's doing nutso things, and so everybody's kind of afraid of him. And, and so Samuel, of course, thinks to himself, Lord, I can't, I can't go there. He's going he's to see me, he's going to hear what's going on. And what happens when a king um, is threatened from another king, kills him. And so 
goes on, and the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling. Nobody trusts Saul, and nobody trusts the people that Saul sends. There's anxiousness over any of Saul's emissaries. And they said, do you come peaceably? In verse 5, he said to them, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Pop quiz, was David consecrated as one of the sons to come to this feast? No, he wasn't. Now, imagine if I'm in David's shoes, okay? Let's say, um, I think the best way to understand this is let's say Joe Biden flies in in a helicopter and he stops in your front yard. He walks up and he says, um, hey, I want to take you and all of your family out to dinner. Now, I'm the youngest of four boys, so I can imagine this happening to me. And they say, you stay home and watch the dogs. We're all going to go out and have a feast with the vice president. I'm like, I want to go eat with the vice president. What are you talking about? And that's kind of the, the importance and the stature and the authority that Samuel had in these communities. I mean, Saul's the number one, Samuel's the number two, if you will. And, and I imagine he's sitting there at home, and he's like, well, I guess I'll just go watch the sheep and kill bears and lions. You guys can't do that, you know? And, and uh, so... I just look at this and I feel bad for him. And, and there's an interesting question that surrounds this and that I've asked when I read it, which is, God, why is there so much drama around picking this king? Like, why do you have to tell Samuel to take a fairly dangerous route through Saul's hometown? Why do you not really tell him who it's going to be? Um, and you look at him and you say, hey, when you get there, I'll tell you what's going to happen next. You guys ever feel like that's how God works with you? Like, he gives you one thing to do, and then he says, don't worry about the rest of that. I'll let you know when I get there. And there's something going on here which is really important, okay? And here's what it is. That God is obsessed with the, say it with me, heart. And he is putting people in hard situations. And this whole process is going to expose everyone's heart. We're about to watch Samuel's heart get exposed. We're about to watch Jesse, David's father's heart, get exposed. We're about to watch everybody have a mirror put up to their hearts. And that's what God is doing. Why doesn't God tell you all the next steps? Because the distance between what he tells you to do and the, and the, the fruition of it happening, that period, that's where you're exposed, right? He'll tell you, go, but he's not going to tell you all the details because it's like, do you trust me? And the reality is, sometimes. <laughs> no one else? Is that just me? Okay, good. Um, but really what God is doing in this whole process is he is teaching everybody something very important that God is obsessed with the heart. Let's watch this play out in verse 6. When they came, he looked. This is that same word from verse 1. This is the second time it's used. Samuel is looking, and he looks on Eliab, and he thought this to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And you know what Samuel does? He does what all the Israelites did before him. He's so stuck on the outside. Look, he's got all the qualifications. He's handsome, he's good-looking, he's strong, he's a man of war, and he's just so concerned with the outside. And the Lord actually takes a moment to reveal Samuel's heart to him, and he rebukes him. Watch what he says to him. The Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, Do not look on his appearance or on his stature, because I have rejected him. I've rejected him. And we find in, ver in chapter 17 that the reason the Lord rejected him is because of his heart. He's probably just like 
another Saul. And God doesn't want another Saul. God wants someone whose heart desires are after his. And so Samuel, I think, finally gets this, but the Lord just keeps going. For the Lord sees, this is the third time that verb is used, not as man sees, number four. Man looks, same verb, number five, on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks, number six, on the heart. And this is all about looking. What do you look at? We are obsessed with the external, and the Lord is not uh, uh, convinced by any of it. He sees through all of the games, and he's like, I'm looking for a heart. I'm looking for a heart. I'm not looking for external qualifications. I want to support people whose hearts are undivided in the trajectory toward me. If you give me that, I will strongly support you. Uh, And evidently, um, Samuel is realizing, wow, like I have a clear heart issue. I am just like the nation of Israel. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab. This is the oldest, uh, or the second oldest, and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither is the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither is the Lord chosen this one. And then uh, he made all seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And finally Samuel realizes something's awry here. Like, I feel like somebody hasn't been honest with me because the Lord was clear that one of your sons was going to be the king. And I feel like I'm missing somebody. And uh, so Samuel in verse 7 says, Are all your sons here? And he says, What? There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's keeping the sheep. But he's insignificant. He's David. He's little. Nobody cares about him. He's irrelevant. He's not a warrior like the rest of them. He's just, he's David, you know? And, and Samuel says, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy. This means red. Um, he was either a redhead or red in the face or red skin, something of the sorts, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I feel like it's like me. Just kidding. That was too easy. Lightning! Hear the sarcasm. Hear the sarcasm. Your arrogance. Uh, The Lord said, Arise! Anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. I want you to catch um, what I think is a weird circumstance for David. David doesn't get invited to this party. He's really bummed. He's out there shepherding his sheep. All of a sudden, somebody runs out. They grab him. They bring him in. And literally, he doesn't hear arise, anoint him. I mean, this is God talking to Samuel. And all of a sudden, this old guy in a robe walks up to him and starts dumping oil on his head, okay? Like, What's happening? And it's not a little bit of oil. This isn't just like, oh, this is like dumping oil on their head, flows down their face. Like, this is a big deal. And all of the brothers are watching. And from what we can tell, the elders of the city are also watching. And this is a moment. And David is like, like, I imagine with a little squeaky voice, maybe cracking a little, just prepubescent, something really like um, young like that. And he's like, like, what's going on here? And his brothers, are they excited for him? Oh, man. They're jealous, and we, we see that come up later in the story, but oh my goodness, and, and Samuel, he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and catch this, they're all like, what is going on here? For sure we thought it would be one of us, and, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel gets up, and he goes home to Ramah. Now, if you're David, like, what do you do? Like, I'm the king of Israel. I'm a kid. What do I do here? Samuel just goes home. 
And, and, and I love this, that um, many of you have sensed a very strong calling in your life to a specific ministry. And I'm not talking just young people. I mean, there are older people, young people. You have this dream that you feel like God has put inside of you. Um, and here's the deal, that between, we'll use these words, the anointing and the appointing, that there is a gap, there is a weight. And in this gap is where the heart of a leader, of a, of a, a, of a person who wants to follow Christ is forged. You have this thing that God has put on your heart that you want to see become reality. And he's anointed you for that. He's called that. He's confirming the people around you. But you're not there yet, right? And there is this gap. And David is going to live in this weight. And he's going to be forged for 10 years. 10 years. And he's going to hell and back. Okay? He is going to be running for his life, be called a traitor, live in foreign lands, lose the loyalty of his friends, live in caves, live in the wilderness. He's going to be hiding. He's going to be scared. And he's going to be wondering the whole time, what happened to this anointing when I was a young kid? What happened to that? And, and here's the deal. Some of you, you have uh, ministry dreams. Okay? You have these things that you want to see happen, right? And you want to be a part of it. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to wait and are you willing to go through incredible difficulty while the Lord forges your heart? Because what I have personally found and what I've seen in person after person is that God typically, before he actually appoints you into a ministry, is he does put you through hell and back, and he forges your character and your heart. Uh, and, and oftentimes, the more broken our hearts, the more difficult the trial. Because God does not want to just take a kid and put him in this weighty responsibility until he does some serious, serious heart work inside of him. And for the next 10 years, David is going to have God, through trial and pain and difficulty, forge him and prepare him for what he's already anointed him to do. Now, here's the question. You have these dreams, these ambitions. You have these things you want to see happen. Um, are you willing to suffer between here and there to be the person that God has made you to be? Most people are not, which is why most of our dreams don't come to fruition Many of them because the dreams or the, the vision for ministry is not about God, it's about us. And even the ones that are about God, very few people have the heart to endure trials and suffering so their hearts are forged and ready for the responsibility that God might give you. And I just submit that for your consideration. Keep going. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. You guys can debate that all you want in your community groups. Um, but here's the deal. It is overwhelmingly apparent from the author of this book and from the people in it that God sent a spirit to torment Saul. There's no way just getting around it. Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful playing the lyre. This is like the harp. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and he will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Now, I love this, right? What is David doing right now? Shepherding. Who's the one who promotes people into positions of leadership or ministry or anywhere? God. Does David need to be positioning himself? No. The Lord knows exactly what he wants for him. The Lord will do exactly what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. David is just being faithful in what the Lord is asking him and called him to do here. And here's what's going on behind the scenes, that the Lord is orchestrating a series of events. We don't even know why this guy knows David, but all of a sudden, somebody is in the court of the king, and they look at King Saul, and here's what they say. Um, Behold, verse 18, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and listen to this, this is so amazing, who is skillful in playing. He is a man of valor, 
a man of war, prudent in speech, is a man of good presence. And apart from all that, it's almost like the Lord is just with him. Like the Lord just supports whatever this guy does. And it's the, the description of David is that he's easy to be around. He loves people. He's winsome. He's handsome. He's fun. He's easygoing. He's whatever the situation needs it to be. And by the way, the Lord just supports him. And people are taking notice. And all of a sudden, this son of Jesse, this youngest kid, is getting a reputation. And now he's getting an invitation to the court of the king. 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son who is with the sheep. (laughs) And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. Why why do you think um, Jesse is doing all this stuff for Saul? I think he's afraid that Saul's going to kill him because there was a quasi-public anointing of another king by Samuel and they're just praying to God that Saul has no idea about it. And so uh, Jesse is trying to uh, maybe lighten him up a little bit, um, feed him before he kills him. And uh, it says this in verse 21, And David came to Saul and entered his service. I love this line. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer, a position of intimacy. This little shepherd kid who was just learning the lyre, just playing the harp, loving his sheep, taking down bears with his sling, taking down lions, you know, just doing his thing, what a normal kid does, right? Anyone else? And he's just being faithful. And you know what? He's probably sitting out there and he's singing to God because he's a musician. He's probably writing poetry because, oh, by the way, he's a poet, writes beautiful poetry in the Psalms. Uh, and, And he's just expressing his heart to God. He's looking at creation every day and says, Lord, you made this. This is amazing. The the heavens declare the glory of God. And and this guy, this kid, all of a sudden finds himself under the leadership of the king as the armor bearer in one of the most intimate positions you can imagine. The Lord moves whoever he wants. And some people are so concerned with self-promotion and getting myself here and getting myself here. The Lord just has this way of doing whatever he wants. And if your heart is after him, you're not going to be anxious over the future. You're going to rest because you're going to realize God has my future under control and he will move me wherever he wants me. And when he asks me to do something, I'll move and when he doesn't, I'll be faithful. That's a heart in the trajectory after God's heart. So Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. I want to close um, with a few just encouragements for you guys. Uh, first encouragement are, is for those of you who I would call heart judgers. Um, I think this is the natural human condition. So actually, this is for all of us um, because we are so inclined to condemn and judge people based on limited things or based on maybe what we know too much of them, right? Um, and here's what I would say. Uh, it is very hard to judge the heart of another man or woman. Very hard. Um, because there are people who have so much skill. They're so good at some stuff, but their heart is broken. And we see this all the time in ministry that these guys are so famous and they do these amazing things and all of a sudden it comes out that their heart is not after God. And the Lord has a way of just exposing people, of taking them down. He just has this way of doing this. And I think the, the, the challenge for every believer is to be obsessed with our own hearts to judge our own hearts, to put a mirror up to our own hearts. What does my heart really want? What are my actions, not my intentions, but my actions, tell God about what's in my heart? Am I coming to God and begging him for support when honestly I'm asking him to support my own idolatry and ambition? Like, what, what's really going on here in my heart? 
And the challenge here is to be obsessed with our own hearts, to judge those things. Because I'll tell you, there will be men and women that you look up to and they will let you down and they will have secret lives for years. And then there are men and women who will be faithful to the day they die and will be so God-honoring. And at the end of the day, the Lord is the one who's going to reveal and expose the thoughts and the intentions of every man's hearts. And, and I think our job, in a sense, needs to slow down and be obsessed with our own hearts before we start casting out condemnation around us. I want to give an encouragement to Jesse's. Um, those of you who are dads um, or moms, you might have a King David in your home and you might not even realize it. Um, uh, this question has been asked of me, um, would you be content, Michael, to do nothing of significance for the Lord except raise a child who would change the world so that you would just be the Jesse in the story? If that's what the Lord wanted, absolutely. Some of us are Jesse's, and we have this little boy, this little girl growing up in our homes, and we just write them off. We think, oh, they won't do much, or we don't put a lot of investment into them, or they're our least favorite, shame on us. And they're the one that we just kind of ignore. But you never know what God is going to do with a little soul in your home. And so I just, I think to myself, don't, don't ever just write your kids off. Pray for them. Because you just might be raising a little King David and you might be putting him aside and not even realizing it. Encouragement to Saul's. Um, this is um, those of you in this room who have ministry. You have leadership. You have position. You might have influence. But your heart is broken. It's cracked. It's not whole. And the Lord knows this. And I want to give you just an encouragement. Um, this is maybe a warning. The Lord will expose you. He will expose you. Um, and it might not be in your time frame. It might not be for years. Um, and he might still use you, but the Lord will expose you. And my encouragement to you is do some massive heart surgery with the Lord. Get on your knees and beg him to change you now. And some of you may even need to resign from some stuff because your heart is fundamentally broken and you're disqualified. Now, what the Lord had to do to Saul is he had to humiliate him. I don't want to be that man. Do you? No. And for some of us, we need to take a step back and say, I have been lying and I've been living a sham. And I need to step back from this position because my heart is not right and I need to get right with Jesus and then enter back into leadership. Encouragement for David's. Uh, God will find you when he wants to find you. Relax. There, one of the things I love about working with so many people here is there's so much ambition, which I love ambition, just so you know. I love people who dream and think about all the things the Lord could do. But sometimes we get ahead of that and we just can't wait. And here's what I want to just encourage you with. If you're David and you're like, you know, my heart is really after the Lord. I want what he wants and I believe that the ministry he's given to me is from him. I would just tell you, let the Lord promote you. Do what he says to do when he says to do it. And what you're going to find is if you're faithful in what he's given you, you'll be amazed at what he does through you. He will find a weird person in the court of some king to say, hey, I know this guy or this girl. And then they'll go run over and grab you. And before you know it, someone's going to be dumping oil all over your head. It's going to be a trip. Second thing I would tell David is God will break the Saul in you before he appoints you. God will break the Saul in you before he appoints you. This is his mercy to you. God loves you so much that he will not, uh, if he has uh, any say in this part, put you in a position so far beyond your character or capacity that will shame God's people. Some people resist God and do it anyways, okay? But here's the deal. We want ministry. We want these things. Let him forge the Saul out of you. Let him kill it, okay? And that process between this anointing and this appointing is hard. Whoever said waiting was easy anyways? But this, was, this is hard. And the deeper the sin, oftentimes the deeper the heartache and the deeper the pain. Endure. 
And finally, for David's, he may have anointed you now, but he'll put you in the position you're supposed to be in. He'll appoint you when your heart is ready, when it's ready. So just wait. Just wait. Pray, wait. And in the meantime, here's our obsession. Lord, I will be faithful to you where you have put me. My heart, my desires are toward you. My actions, which are the overflow of my heart and my desires, they're toward you. Lord, I'm still broken in a few areas because until the day you die, we're going to be a little bit broken. Some of us, a lot of it. But God is forging and working and transforming and he is obsessed with the heart. And God is looking. I want you to be encouraged. He's looking. And just because God finds somebody with a heart, does that mean he's going to appoint them right away? No. Usually there's a preparing. Usually there's a waiting. And that's okay. That's okay. And so with some of you, um, I'm very excited to see how God um, continues to forge you, change you, prepare you, transform you. Some of you are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. And God is actually forging you right now for a ministry you didn't even know he was forging you for. And right now he's preparing you. Some of you are, are um, teenagers or even younger. And the Lord is putting dreams on your heart, and they're not just something that's for you and your glory. They're from him and for the name of Jesus Christ. And he is forging your heart. And there, he might have called you to something, but between that anointing and that appointing, um, he's going to forge you. Embrace that. Wait. Endure. Let the Lord do what he's going to do. And do not, if you're older, do not think this is not about you because it's not like if you're past your 20s or 30s that somehow the Lord has not had, like he stopped having plans for you. And what you're going to find is probably every decade of your life is an opportunity for new ministry, different ministry, expanded ministry because of the seasons of life that you've gone through. So if you are older, do not write this sermon off because David's a kid. You need to step back and say, Lord, what are you doing with me? And he might look at you and say, I can't do much right now because your heart isn't after me. So let's work on that. So Ville Church, um, we're about to worship. I want to invite the band to come up. And here's, I think, what happens in a sermon like this. Is some of you are actually um, feeling a lot of condemnation. So I want to remind you of what God says. Um, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So some of you, you we, we get done with sermons like this or messages, and you're like, the Holy Spirit is provoking things in you that are not okay. So here's what happens. You say, I'm stupid. I'm terrible. Um, and it becomes self-condemnation. And what I would encourage you to do is, is to change that and make it sin condemnation. Prepare your heart to go on a battle against sin. Because as you stand before God because of Jesus Christ, you have the privilege and opportunity to stand up despite our broken hearts and worship him, and he hears it and receives it and loves it. That's amazing. And some of you are going to be singing, oh, I'm so dumb, oh, I'm so dumb, oh, glory to God, revelation. And I would just say, declare a war on sin in your own heart. Stop declaring a war on yourself and declare a war on sin and go after it with all you are. And when you see the cracks in there, uh, you just go hard after them and you get on your knees and say, God, you love me. I'm secure with you. I don't like this because this means that I'm not undivided after you. And so even in some of the songs you're worshiping, uh, let this worship be just a request to God. Lord, would you break my heart? Would you heal me? Would you forge me? Would you put me back together? I want to be like David, a man after your own heart. Let's pray. God, as we um, get ready to sing, um, as we get ready to even celebrate, what a weird thought as your spirit convicts to simultaneously celebrate. But God, even as your spirit convicts of sin, it is not accusatory. You stink. You're terrible. How could you? Um, there is real grief that you experience in our sin, but you love us and you have forgiven us and you've declared us righteous. 
And so, God, I pray that as we stand to sing in this tension where we are convicted sinners and yet seen as righteous and pure as your children, Lord, would you allow us to worship from our hearts? And even in this time, would you start putting us back together in ways that only you can? Would you do heart surgery in a way that literally we cannot do? We love you and we worship you. We celebrate who you are and what you've done in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen.